Hey, everybody. Welcome back to this week's episode of the Long Lost Heroes podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Frank, here as always with AJ. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, my friend. Very, very well indeed. Yeah, so we're like at the end here. Um, not the <sighs> end, the penultimate. <laughs> yeah, we uh, love that word. <laughs> <laughs> we sure do. So uh, this week we're talking about You Only Live Twice, um, Sean Connery's second to last movie, uh, 1967. Um, in the beginning of this, this movie was released in June in the summer of love. Wow. So that's like, if that's like before it even started, you're like already starting out pretty tall with this one. Yeah. But it doesn't really feel like it. (laughs) No, it it really doesn't. Uh, I want to see something and I forgot to grab this trivia before we started. I wanted to know when, uh, Sergeant Peppers came out. Oh, when was it? Ah, uh, it was released in May. So they had been listening. So June 9th. So they had been listening to Sgt. Pepper's for two weeks before this comes out. That's nuts. Ta- <laughs> talk about a separation of universes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like people are literally listening to Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds and Within Without You. At the same time, they're about to go see the next James Bond movie. It's it's and- just like, yeah, you, you can be on more sides I mean, it's made by old white men in the in the 60s who are not listening to that kind of music. Um, well, there's George Martin, but this isn't a Beatles podcast. So, uh, listen, you only live twice. You only live twice, Frank. You do. Holy shit. And, I mean, I forgot. So, this movie I is actually probably the – like, before we started this journey, and excluding Daniel Craig – Sure. This movie was the most recent James Bond movie I had seen. So, like, when I was trying to make my way through them, this is where I ended. This was the last one I saw. So this is actually kind of fresh in my memory. Like, I would say, like, five or six years ago, maybe. That's a journey to the Misty Mountains. We went to Mordor and back, my friend. <laughs> like, like, it's a totally different experience. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, this one, like, I was watching. I was like, okay, uh, yeah, I remember what's going on. But I forgot the opening and I don't want to spoil it here, but um, yeah, there, there's a reason for the title that you only live twice. Um, so I, I watched this film. like Sunday. When did you watch it? I, I watched it. I started it at like at later on last night, which I usually do not do for the fans out there. I cannot watch a movie or start a movie really past nine o'clock anymore. <laughs> um, and I did, and I got to the one hour, 14 minute mark where they're at the Ninja Castle, and I paused that shit, and I just finished it uh, at like 7.15. Wow. Yeah, and then I dove into the special features, so it's today. It's crazy, so, it's crazy, because it's seven o'clock, so somehow there's time travel involved. I'm very, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> Uh, I no, had a beer. A I haven't had a beer on this podcast maybe in years. Yeah. Um, I actually have like one I could even say a granite roots face plant into the rocks Belgian triple. When have I ever shouted out a beer on this motherfucker? Never. I, I don't know. Uh, man. It's got a guitar on it. Um, That's pretty cool. I'm I'm down. Are you just trying to clear clean out the fridge? Is that what's happening? <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, we have food and we have to like eat it, you know. Yeah. Um, I'm moving out of out of Jersey City. I'm sure we'll talk about it at a later time. Anyway, if you hear the echo on the podcast, that's what it is. 
Um, but yeah, I'm cleaning out that motherfucking fridge. I'm cleaning out my shit, all my records and DVDs. The PlayStation is now all over in Rowerton, New Jersey, uh, along yeah. with my brand new Wi-Fi I set up. So Ooh, yeah, that's crucial these days. You know, like you got to get that set up before you're in there. Otherwise, like, I mean, for you especially, you work from home 100% of the time. I mean, we all, all do now, but, you know, like, you got to get that in there. Otherwise, you're, like, twirling your thumbs for two days. I totally did, and it was a great, very easy install. It's what they had before. I got to say, I really loved Xfinity. Mm -hmm. um, they were a great service. Uh, I loved being able to talk to the microphone. The, the microphone. I loved being able to talk to the remote control. Um, I really liked their ease of on-demand features. I haven't really played with the new OS that's for Fios. I had the old one, and I did not have this remote. Uh, but, yeah, I also remember a lot of the old Fios channels, so that'll be cool to throw back to. Um, but, yeah, you know, and the guy came over. He was really sweet. He did a great job. Um, and we're pulling, you know, 440 megabit, which is not bad for the burbs. I mean, yeah. right I mean, you gotta, you're spread out now. You're not going to be conflicting with the airwaves and people in the building. Totally. Totally. And, uh, you know, the main thing is just making sure you've got enough of the, you know, the, the bounce, whatever they're called, so you can get it throughout the house. Oh, this dude, extenders. he did a great job. He did an extender in the top floor studio uh, room that will cover the back end of my, of my house. Excellent. Shit. Uh, yeah, and it's it's great. He did a great job. Also, cable boxes don't need cables anymore. They can just be on Wi-Fi. Did you know that? What? That's yeah. nuts. That's nuts. I didn't know this. So, And then he was goofing on me because, like, my house is going to be set up all different than, um, like, a regular house would be, I guess. Like, what would be the living room we're going to use as a dining room and what would be the dining room we're going to have as a second living area with the idea that most people hang out near your kitchen. Yep. And I'm very excited for people who, like, hung out a decent time at my Jersey City apartment to go out and see what this is because the living floor, as we're calling it, is very similar to that layout yeah. almost to exactly. So it'll be interesting. We knew that people people want to hang out in the kitchen, right? It's, they want to well, sit around. That's the thing. Everyone talks about open concept now, right? Like, you want to have that, yeah. that flow where you can talk to people that are just chilling and, you know, someone's prepping dinner or making drinks or whatever. Now i got to mount my TVs. I haven't done that. I haven't been. I haven't mounted anything. I know. I've always been afraid to, but it's. It seems like it's worth it, right? If you're just staying there, it's like okay, TV, you're there. <laughs> yeah, stay here, TV. <laughs> um, I don't know but, what happens if you get a new TV. Can you keep the mount, and you just gotta like replace the TV, or do you gotta take the whole? Thing? I would love. I would. Nothing would please me more in life, Frank, if we did like a full episode about us buying our TVs. Like, I think <laughs> that would be a great. I think people would tune in. I think that'd be great. I'm down. Uh, get a whole new demographic. Like, I, because my search began today. Like, I Fantastic. am now on the hunt. Our, the other long lost hero, the, the other member of the band, but also, you know, unspoken silent member of the podcast, Matt Zeeby, he just bought a TV. He called me from fucking Best Buy. Like, <laughs> you know, like that's of OG dad shit. So, all right. Yeah. So TVs, we can do, TVs, we can do the TV episode maybe after Mandalorian sometime in early 2021. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. So you only live twice. Um, I I like this. I don't know um, if I liked it as much as some of the other Conneries. What do you think? Off the top of the head, this is not my favorite or how I remembered this movie to be. Yeah. And I'm slightly bummed by it. And I think it's just okay. It's and also super problematic. 
Yeah, that part's pretty big. Uh, uh, yeah. You know, I think to, to sum this movie down in, into a thought, I, I, we don't have, they did not have in 1967 the movie language that we have today of extended universes and contiguous uh, movie series and returning villains and new bad guys and different get, things that we have now that I think we kind of take for granted, but I don't think we took for granted in the way that it was started, right? We saw the fa each phase one Marvel movie in a motherfucking theater. We watched, we saw when we got to the Avengers, we were there together. It was, it was the giant load we were itching to blow since you're in Ca Iron Man 2. So the main thing I think here is that this movie, I think I embodied a lot of like higher expectations of what it was going to be and that it was fun and representative of the culmination of building up to Spectre and building up to Blofeld and finally seeing them duel. And I totally remembered the beautiful Ken Adams set. But, you know, I think what you don't remember is uh, that there's a lot of James Bond movies are escapism in the sense that people wanted to travel to exotic places they couldn't get to. Yeah. And that this movie is one of the first major motion pictures to really feature Tokyo, Japan, Kyoto, major other locations in a way that people could access them and really feel that they had gotten at least some of the flavor of where they were going. And to me, this it, you said it really good in the in the run up where it was like this feels like very much like two movies together. Yeah. And you know, I, I don't know, but I'm taking a lot into that. What do you think, Frank? Yeah, I I mean, I think that's that's the problem. Like, I appreciate like you think about it back in the '60s, like like you were saying, trying to give people this like taste of a place that they had never been or they've never seen, but it almost it ends up watering it down and makes it like a caricature and like I don't know I mean it's happened so many times right like with uh in the last movie and then even as we go into the Roger Moore era with live and let die it's like oh you you want to know what it's like to be a part of this culture and here you go and it's just like it just it's kind of a slap in the face and it's you know I think they all end up becoming very racist and they to me it it makes it not hold up as well and like it just is kind of a bummer to return to like the fact that i watched this like only five or six years ago i probably didn't have the same uh not revulsion but you know like <laughs> that sort of like yeah. uh reaction to it like i think maybe now i'm probably more woke than i was then but like it's also like it was pretty jarring to see this like 1960s shitty ass makeup of making Sean Connery look Japanese, which also just kind of make him look like Spock. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. actually, he's very Nimoy in that. Um, shit. so yeah, the haircut too, the haircut and you know, the eyebrows and all that, like, I don't know. So it's, it's weird. I, it's unfortunate. Um, and as we've been going through this entire podcast series, like it was something that we knew that as we got, went through these films, we would have to, mark them with an asterisk a little bit but no you're right um yeah this film is hella racist uh you know the i mean the idea that we're gonna you know make james bond look japanese is like inherently a very troubling thought you know what i mean like you wouldn't say that about 
I one would hope they wouldn't try to target this with any other culture. You know what I mean? I also, I also don't think they ever attempted this anything like this ever again. Um, yeah, yeah, that the yeah that that's that's real bad. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I, we're dancing around stuff, so I, I don't want to get too deep without going spoilers. So let's throw up. Let's our throw spoiler. it up. Yeah, you know, it's here. Thirteen minutes, whatever. If you haven't seen the movie yet, go watch it. Fuck you. And we're at the end of this thing. If you if you made it this far in the Long Lost Heroes Bond series and haven't been watching them, what are you doing? <laughs> you but- know what? ZB once said to me, these are very long podcasts. You could almost watch the, t- the podcast and the time it makes to like listen to the episode. So why would you do that? And I was like, you, don't, you just don't get it, do you? <laughs> no. like, That's you know, the like, point. I mean, it's, the, it's really not. And, and it's not that... You know, these movies are, you know, they're usually two hours in length. It's not that the podcast should ever be this long, but we love it so much. And we've really come to learn and respect a lot of, I would say, the filmmakers behind this more than anything else. Yeah. I think the actors come and go. I think they change. They bring different flavors. That's all well and good. Motherfucker, Albert R. Broccoli is the OG Kevin Feige, and he gets no love, no respect. <laughs> and he's the fucking man. Like, the idea that he's just like, I'm going to go out and I'm going to create this, and this is going to exist because I say so. Like, it, ho- that's that's a whole new way of producing. And it's crazy to me that, like, they sort of – they started this, and then they, like, back away from it. Like, yeah. to think yes. about that in, like, the, the late 70s, you've got Star Wars, like – making sequels that have continuity and like connect the dots to each other. And the James Bond movies at the time are very, very one note and yes. Standalone. Yeah. So obviously like maybe it just, it didn't work for the audiences in the the late sixties, early seventies. So they just gave up on it. Um, But if they only knew what they had, (laughs) if they, if they only knew. And I think that's, what could come? Yeah. Um, all right, Franks. Yes. What? Where do you want to start in the spoiler category? Um, let's just do the plot game. Let's start there. Um, Fuck. This plot is really simple. Um, it's great. It's great. Um, I I kind of want to take a crack at it, and then you could take a yeah, crack at it. Yeah, go for it. Do it. Do it. Do it. So, um, Spectre is secretly um, stealing United States and Russian space vehicles and pitting them against each other to ignite world war three. James Bond needs to stop them. And he meets Blofeld on the way. That's pretty good. 25 (laughs) words. Not bad at all. Um, yeah, man, the timeliness of this movie to the space program is definitely palatable, right? Like, Like we're definitely seeing, you know, this is, this movie comes out uh, post Gemini. It's shot with Gemini rockets, but it's uh, after it's after Mercury. It's during Gemini. It's before Apollo. Yeah. So you so even though uh, I think sixty eight is when they start Apollo. So I think sixty seven is Apollo one. Tragic uh, burning of those poor poor astronauts. Anyway, um, yeah, th- this feels like a, a late sixties movie to me. With the kind of, or I, I guess it feels timely. You know what I mean? Yeah. That the, the rockets are here. We're dealing with shit in space. It's the Cold War. Um, and, and the Russians are a major player. I really, 
think that the you know the tensions are are really cool i like the ticking clock um yo but like do you feel like if this movie was made today it would be a half hour longer and it would show much more american and russian shit like i feel yeah. like they would go at like you'd have I, why is felix not in this movie that's a great that's question a, I that's have. a very good question um especially yeah how heavily it is on on the cold war aspect like he should totally have been in this 100 percent, and i think you definitely feel like when tanaka comes up to bond and <laughs> <Masahiro>. hero <laughs> like that, that threw me off every time <laughs> number 19's coming up he's talking to, he's talking to james bond and he's saying okay uh listen we i need a couple more outs <laughs> i'm not going out uh no and he's like they moved up the timing to tonight um i needed more plot like I, this movie lacks exposition in yeah. a way that like I, as the talkie talkie park guy, really miss. Right? Don't you feel like they're just like they're missing beats? It's missing beats, and I think it's like we were saying before, because there's sort of two movies going on. Like they want to have this big uh, journey of uh, showing off Japan, and like this whole yes. like subplot that like doesn't matter at all, and it ends up like hurting the overall movie. Like if they just went in on the the russian u.s space program element of it it could have been fucking awesome yeah yeah you know so this movie you know they were really trying to make on her majesty's secret service next after thunderball okay and they didn't they went with you only live twice because you only live twice is a is a major uh book success from fleming it comes out in 64. It's a major hit. Okay. Uh, and it's really, a, you know, it starts with a haiku um, that Ian Fleming wrote. It's you only live twice, once when you're born and once when you meet death, uh, hmm. which is a very cool idea. I, I kind of I dig that. Um, but, you know, they really had to kind of change a lot of what the book is about to, like, fit this movie. So... They actually called an, called in a new director, somebody we haven't seen yet in uh, Bond cinematic lore, which is very cool, to Lewis Gilbert, who had, who will direct The Spy Who Loved Me, mm-hmm. but at this time has just directed Alfie with Michael Caine, which is a major hit in mm. London. Okay. In, excuse me, in the UK. Um, and he comes in, he brings in a new uh, cinematographer, him, Cubby Broccoli, Saltzman, Peter Hunt, and Ken Adam fly out to Japan to go on this awesome adventure. And while they're there, they're flying over and, you know, Kyoto, Tokyo, no problem, right? Beautiful cities. They can get into anywhere. It's all corporate, no big deal. Uh, But they can't find any of the like pagodas and different kinds of uh, castle style locations that are mentioned in the book that can represent um, what is uh, Fleming is largely talking about in, in the book. And they end up spending, uh, I think, seven hours a day. I think it was like 48 hours total flying over Japan in a helicopter with an ex-kamikaze pilot. (laughs) And, like, they – I mean, you can't write that shit. Like, I think you could have a whole fucking HBO Go series about the making of the James Bonds. Oh, my God. That's a fucking show right there. Totally. Um, 
so they're flying over at like the Lewis Gilbert, the director had never been in a plane before. He's like, I'm really afraid. And then the guy reaches back. He's like, yeah, I'm a kamikaze pilot. It's all good though. <laughs> you know, like I'm not going to crash this time. Don't worry. Don't worry about it. And, uh, they end up finding the volcano on a island and then they rewrite uh... the whole idea to that. And in the, pl- in the aircraft, uh, the helicopter, uh, Cubby Broccoli turns to Ken Adam and he's like, can you make something cool out of the helicopter? What do you think you could do? He's like, what about a retractable roof? And Broccoli's like, done. Boom. Great. Done. Over. Let's go. <laughs> so then they, so this is a great piece of trivia. The time that they were trying to leave Japan uh, out of Tokyo via a plane, which was new at that time, um, they there were two major complete crashes like the days before they all got out wow there was a a major uh like canadian aircraft that missed the like undershot the runway and crashed into the the water and killed 64 people and then another plane the next day it was foggy and they crashed in the side of a mountain luckily they all made it out yeah it's like Uh, i don't want to get in a plane right now (laughs) yeah i know none of these guys were like i don't know i don't know we're gonna do this over there um, they end up leaving safely, but the production of this movie is like fraught with peril. Fraught. Yeah. Um, and you can see it. And I don't love to talk about um, the categories in this part of the podcast, but I, I'm going to break into one a little bit here. I don't know. I mean, I know for a fact. So Sean Connery at this point is like a beetle. And everywhere he goes, he's getting mobbed by the press. Sure, of course. Yeah. Two weeks into filming, because him, Broccoli, and Saltzman can't agree on a contract for the next movie, he says this is his last movie. That only increases the press presence. Oh shit! And he can't. He can't get a breakfast. He can't be in his. He can't go out for a ride. He's now there with his wife. Like he's very much similar to a beetle. You know what I mean? Like at this point, they were in there. You know, they were coming into their thirties. They were most of them married or coming out of marriages, actually, and they're they can't even fucking live. Yeah, they can't exist because the things that they've done now exceeds their personal comfort. Uh, and he announces he's going to retire, and when that happens, it really just it changes the game of this movie. And I really, you can really feel that the level of commitment from Connery from where I think we see it at its peak in Goldfinger is just so far gone at this point. It's kind of unfortunate. I mean, it's, it's hard because like we keep talking about, okay, we've got one more with, with diamonds are forever, but like, right. And we skipped around, we skipped around, but like the, the, the thing that we're missing here is that there is a gap and this, this was his last movie for a few years and it was kind of like, all right, that's it. Let's move on. Um, but, and, and I mean, when we talked about On Her Majesty's Secret Service, it was like, I can only imagine how jarring this would have been, right? Like to to go from this and like, all, and if you knew about him leaving and everything in the press, like think about that. Like, it's like two, two years. Imagine if like yeah. two years, Daniel Craig was like, I'm out. And then like this new guy came in. It's like, there's no time to even like let it rest. Um, but that's true, and and they're smart about that. Like, like they are we've now. Seen that, yeah, they are now. That they'll wait. You know what I mean? They'll they'll give it time to 
reinterpolate itself and to come up with a new strategy to reinvigorate the franchise. And they just didn't know how they hadn't reinvigorated any franchises at this point. Nope. You know, also this movie is the first to have a decline in box office revenue owing to the fact that Casino Royale also comes out this year. The spoof movie from Columbia with Woody Allen. Um, So, you know, at that point, you know, the, the producers aren't happy. Connery isn't happy. He walks. We got on Her Majesty's Secret Service, which I would be open to maybe returning to and watching again if we had to. Yeah. Uh, but, like, it depends on how bad I want to watch it after Diamonds Are Forever. But, like, even still looking back on it, like, it didn't have any of the fun that these Connery movies have in, in moments and in, and in kind of really great uh, experiences. It's weird because, like, we watched it after watching uh, the Daltons, right? And so yeah. it's, like, 80s to 69, but it almost feels like 80s to 59. It, it's like Totally. It feels like a bigger jump back in time than, like, everything that we've seen so far. Like, Goldfinger feels so much more advanced and, like, I don't know. It, it's just weird. Maybe maybe they just felt like, okay, we've got to scale back, and it's kind of like a B-movie. Ooh. Yeah, that that's actually kind of a good point because they had to know – that they were whatever this movie was it was a big risk right it it was probably going to lose money so to make that movie in and of itself like you don't have to do the things that these other films kind of do in 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 each iteration yeah you Um, just need the story to kind of work and sure like the new guy to be likable enough which they proved that didn't work he was not (laughs) um so back to you only live twice um yeah so there's a couple standout moments in this movie, and uh, I think to me one of them is the uh, the gyrocopter sequence. Yep. Um, and uh, the ending sequence inside the volcano. I think the rest of this movie is more or less B-roll. It's kind of forgettable. And like... I mean, the car chase is like we've built up the DB5. We've built up these incredible car chases. I don't think this movie and and the mag uh, the, the magnet coming from the helicopter is in and of itself a bad idea. I think it's actually really cool and it looks awesome on the movie. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that it is as like what revelatory or as like uh, epic of an idea that than what we've kind of been building to with the car. And I think this movie actually just needed the car. And it, that yeah. it maybe maybe that could have tied it all together. Well, and that's the thing. Like when uh, when he's like in code saying to, uh, I think he's saying it to Tanaka, like uh, call and send little Nelly sell, and little Nelly send her and, father and father. I was like, oh, is it the car and the dad and Hugh? But like, obviously, I mean, it's cool that they should have also sent the car if they had the ability. But I don't know. I guess a, a, the gyrocopter, like they assembled on site so it was able to fold up and get in a plane across you know from the uk to japan which maybe with a car is not as easy to do Um, oh definitely definitely not you're you're right this is uh you know so i think again one of the things i've really taken away from diving into bond not so much the actors definitely the people behind the cat the 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 camera behind the scenes and I think the the coolest guy, the the dude 
I would want to go have a drink with is Ken Adam. Yep. He's the production designer. He designs the interior for the, the the volcano set. And this is the most epic set it's, maybe ever. It's so cool. And clearly the in- inspiration for Dr. Evil's secret volcano lair. <laughs> oh, it's, it's the inspiration for all of that Austin yeah. Powers shit. Like, yeah. Ken Adams is the man. He's He's the definitive designer of this era like there's nobody as iconic there's nobody making the things that he he did here um he's a transcendent guy you know i hope that he was honored by the afi people because like the shit he does in this movie is is it's it's incredible and and what happened here is after broccoli approves him making the interior volcano set with the uh the retractable roof he goes off and he draws it and when he draws it uh he goes to Broccoli and he's like, all right, this is going to cost a million dollars, you know? And Broccoli at that point is like, all right, like you're going to say it's a million dollars. That's fine. That's 10% of the budget on this one set. (laughs) Like he's like, all right, cool. Like you can go for it. When he, when they did this, this is a real practical set. And they, when they built it, the team couldn't believe how huge it was over the studio that they were just like constantly in awe of like this huge behemoth that they had created. And they brought in special, the, the new cinematographer guy brought in special lighting people to light this in a way that you've, you've, they'd never been able to light things before. Sure. And, and that's really awesome. And I think the great, the best special effect of this movie is the, the miniature of the volcano set when they do the explosions I think that's some of the most believable intercutting of a miniature with a thing for this time period, like ever. Like it, it really, it really looks good. It really holds up. Totally. The yeah. other rear projection in this movie is horrendous. I mean, that's just the times. Like we've we've given it a pretty bad rap so far, but it's just like oh, egregious. And uh, but they obviously couldn't do it any other way. So no, and and, and you can't fault them for that. Yeah. Um, all right. I, I love the set. It's so cool. It is huge. The monorail. The monorail. <laughs> I the one thing that's like so silly. I mean, this is not anything about the set, but like the fact that Bond needs to fly over the volcano and doesn't see that it like looks like a painted piece of metal, and then has to walk up to it like f- inches away to realize that it's not water. <laughs> it's like, come on, man. Oh, oh, he's he's right there, man. He he's he's deducing it with the rest of us, like. It's a really it's a really epic shot. Yeah. And that whole flight sequence, this is like this is the this is the best shit, okay? The uh the flight sequence with the gyrocopter over the volcano with the other spectrocopters. Um it's one of the first helicopter fights ever put to film. Um but uh the cameraman is a guy I think his name is John Jordan or Jim Jordan. I hope it's not Jim Jordan. Uh he's shooting it the first run in Japan and one of the specter copters came up from under his helicopter and took his whole foot off. <gasps> oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. The specter copter was able to land. Okay. He got out and there was actually a convention of surgeons and they tried to put his foot back together, but it didn't work. Um, and like there's good footage they have on the DVD <laughs> of like, you could see like this guy, holding the camera, pointing at Sean Con- the or the the gyrocopter. I don't know if it was Sean Connery, but pointing at the gyrocopter, and then he pans down and sees his foot hanging off. Oh, my God. 
it's rock and roll and stuff, man. Really cool. Uh, yeah, man. Uh, that's badass. But then when they shot the the next cut of that scene, that is done in Spain, España, not okay. done in Japan. They're like, we gotta stop. We gotta take a minute here. Japan said no. The Japanese were like, "Fuck you, yeah. no." <laughs> like, <laughs> you're gonna cut people's feet off? Like, no, you're out. <laughs> you're horrible. Uh, um, yeah. All right. So, can we talk about Blofeld? Ooh, yeah, go for it. What are, what are your thoughts, my friend, though? So it's like it's so great to finally have him, right? They've been building up to it. You see him in um, – well, he's mentioned like sort of-ish in uh, – fuck, what's the second movie? From Russia with Love. And then yep. uh, Thunderball, he's kind of there, and you don't see his face ever. It, it's just interesting to me how they've like had – pretty much in every single film, a different actor portray him, whether you see his face or not. Um, and you finally get him. It's like, I mean, is it like the last third of the movie? Is it even, yeah. it's like, it's not that much, um, but he's, he's there. He has a presence. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I feel like to me, at least at this point, he's the definitive version. Um, but also like, I can't help but feel like he looks like kevin spacey from gold member <laughs> oh 100 percent. like more like a lampoon of dr evil than than an actual like as of dr evil uh which is kind of funny but i don't know he's cool i he's menacing but it's just so funny to see like he's like this small guy and like he just is like evil and uh I mean, okay so in aj's page one rewrite of this movie the beginning part starts with Blofeld stroking the cat. Because mm. you have to reintroduce. Yep. Right? Like, I know we see him in Thunderball for a hot second, but you need him again. You have to restart the uh, the connection with the character. And you have to slowly reveal him throughout the film to learn more about him, to see him be really evil and terrible, to own being number one at Spectre. You know, I think I'm sure if you read the books right you would see blofeld grow and the character change cuz you know you can't really just write blofeld turns to camera in the book you know yeah. what i mean right so like you don't need to have that like hidden reveal in a book it's all about no, the visual and the other thing like there's no reason why you can't have it cuz like as as an audience you know watching him, them steal the the american ship at the beginning it's like oh like no one really like, do you really think it's the Russians? Like, no, like you just tell us out right. front. Like it's something that bond needs to find out, but like tell the audience and, and build up the suspense. So this is where I want to bring up another bond film where we have a, a, a blow fell and that is specter. I think this movie and this watch made me appreciate a little bit more of like what they tried to do with specter. Yeah. And that, you know, if you kind of look at the way the Connery movies and the and the Craig movies kind of mirror each other in 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 not really this full way, but it, sort of the idea that you know Inspector, which we've already talked about, they're building up that Blofeld is kind of behind all of this, that he's someone very close to Bond who knows him and and really understands his uh, point of view and and really is is really trying to fucking kill him. You know what I mean? And and that is a, you know, built up to a way where we've been making fun of it the whole time that it's 
Dr. Evil and Austin Powers, but I think that even goes back to the original books of Fleming. And to have that not come around in this movie is a real pain in the ass because, you know, you get it a little bit more in On Her Majesty's Secret Service. You get a little bit more Blofeld. You get a little bit more time with him, but it's a different actor. It's a totally different look. It doesn't feel like the same timeline has continued on into this other movie. No, it does. It's Yeah, it, that's the other thing. It's like... It, if the, if when we're watching on Her Majesty's Secret Service, we felt like, oh man, James Bond just like infiltrated this whole volcano and this whole extra plot uh, that he was doing. Spect um, Blofeld in, in on Her Majesty's Secret Service is just like, all right, on to the next thing. Oh Bond, you're here again. Like it, it doesn't feel connected, and he should be totally fucking pissed at this point. Yeah. Fine, I'll do it myself, Thanos kind of move, you know? Ex like exactly. And I think I was hoping for Thanos, yeah, really. Yeah. And and like, you know, say what you want about uh the Marvel universe, like Thanos is an interesting and well developed villain. Like he's you've seen him throughout the movies, you kind of see that he's not just, you know, um stirring the pot, but he's behind the recipe, he's pulling all the moves, he's pulling all the triggers and you know he has the ultimate weapon yep. there is no weapon beyond the infinity gauntlet and it never felt like we saw like enough of blofeld's hand or enough of him to like really feel the immense threat that he poses or is supposed to inhuman uh, inhabit you know what i mean like like he is number one of specter like even in a uh, fucking dr no Dr. No takes a minute and explains what Spectre is to James Bond to show him like what, how he's a badass. Like right. I get that he's busy and he's trying to do this whole rocket mission and he's pressed for time. Um, I also love the shot of when the cat freaks out in the scene. <laughs> Did you pay attention to that? I saw that. That was, I was like, wait a second. Was that a real cat? It was totally That's a real cat. He, the cat is freaking the fuck freaking out. out. Um, <laughs> like the explosion, yeah. like it was like, Holy shit, guys, you can tell me who's going off now. This cat doesn't know he's acting. No. <laughs> he's like, I'm he's just not being, a SAG actor. Just being petted by this nice man. <laughs> Lots of people watching me. What the fuck? What the fucking fuck? You're going to explode shit? Um, I don't know. Uh, I needed more Blofeld. I needed a more developed Blofeld. Yeah. I needed the Spectre plot to run more deeply throughout the film. I needed it to feel like a culmination this movie is a fart noise and it's like, you know, it's when you, when you look at the plot itself, the plot I think is very interesting. It's definitely a good standalone James Bond movie I would recommend, but I don't know if it's what I was hoping to get out of it in that, you know, even in Spectre, they're trying to deliver a culmination. It's not delivered effectively. It's not given the time or the, uh, uh, you know, the, the real weight of a, of a real good villain, you know, good guy scenario. Uh, but then I was also thinking about it. it was like, well, okay, so you see Blofeld get away at the end of Spectre and, you know, they blow up his whole Spectre base. And yes, it's very fast, but it, is that the only thing that is wounded? And, and no, I think actually Bond is wounded, that Bond is emotionally cut by having the idea of this guy that he knows that he knows that he knows um, has been out here twisting the strings. And like, even though he's escaped, like I don't bond. We know that bond knows the threat is not over because of the end of the movie. Right. You know? So like this one, 
again, they didn't have the movie language we have now to really perform the culmination of story that I, I think I was really hoping for. Yeah. I, I mean, it'll be interesting because uh, Diamonds Are Forever has uh, Blofeld. Played, Get the fuck out of here. Yep. Uh, played by the guy that plays Mr. Henderson in this movie. And he's got, which is so weird. And um, obviously he's got a completely different look, which is part of the, the shtick of Blofeld. Correct. So it's kind of like acceptable, but like, why does this Blofeld have a a scar scar on his eye? Like just why? (laughs) It just, just, yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He's missing. He's missing parts, man. You know, and it, it sucks. It, it, it would be different if he was like a Loki kind of character. You know what I mean? Ooh. Where like like if you think about the way that they use Loki in Avengers to be the villain, but we know he's not really the villain, like what if this was like a Blofeld imitator or Blofeld's like physical persona and there's still the idea of Blofeld out there in the world controlling shit, doing different stuff, and he's gonna blow up this body and move on to the next guy. Like there's just mm. he's not all there, man. He's just he's he's and it's sad because I think people and and me personally, like I, I was just expecting to see him be him be awesome. But I know I think we I think you've heard us harp on this shit enough. But I don't know why they haven't they didn't keep the casting the same. I feel like that also really hurt it. Um, but oh, a hundred percent, yes, that's wrong. Um, they're wrong. I'm sure that they were thinking that Bond was replaceable at the time, so Blofeld is also replaceable. Um, I think if you saw Bond franchise start today, they would definitely not do that. They yep. would do everything that they could to lock everybody down for as many movies as they could possibly make. Yep. Um, let's talk about the the Japanese actors and actresses in this movie for a hot minute. Sure. So uh, I think the best performance is given by mr tetsuro tamba who is a karate expert but he was also the best english-speaking actor that they could find in japan and i think that really plays in this movie very very well he says some pretty crappy stuff and he has to say some rough lines but overall i really like his character so this is this is tiger tanaka correct tiger tanaka masahiro (laughs) yeah i like him a lot too um it's always cool to have kind of like Bond's sidekick guy that when he goes to a location, he can kind of work with and is his contact. And he's a good one. And I love the the way that he kind of – it's like a test in order for him to be, like be accepted, you know, right? Like it's like, oh, he has to go through this whole thing and like uh, the female agent, I can't remember her name um, – and they they finally like okay we're good like we've got our secret codes let's watch this movie <laughs> oh when they go to T- tiger's tanaka's lair that's a really great lair with yeah. the slide yeah it's great um what is not good is yeah. when they they he's like you have to become japanese <laughs> it's like the <sighs> fuck <laughs> You have to learn kung fu, and you need to, you know, get married and go through all this this shit, and you need to basically have a a facelift. Which to me, like the way that they were doing it in the movie, it almost seemed like it was going to be a surgery, but it ended up just being like a bunch of makeup because it comes off in the water, I guess. Yeah. 
I don't know. You know, the... Hmm. Yes. Uh, mm. I think, so, one of the crazy things that, that happened is uh, the lady who plays um, uh, the second lady, the the wife... Yeah. Um, when they were casting her a couple of days into shooting, uh, the director, Gilbert, Louis Gilbert, goes to... Uh, Tom uh, Tomba and is like, hey man, I don't think this girl's gonna work. Um, can you go to dinner and like politely fire her and tell her she's not gonna be able to do this? And like this guy did that. And Get he out of here. Ne- he comes back the next day and he's like, listen man, um, we can't fire her. And he's like, what do you mean? What, why can't we fire her? She's like, he, she's gonna commit suicide tonight. <laughs> like, <laughs> and they actually bring her back in. Oh my god. And they changed the name. Uh, of the other actress um, after the fact uh, at this point too from Suki to Aki um, oh my god you're right this movie is has a lot of crazy behind the scenes shit drama going on like it does man and you know I think that plays into the movie you know what I mean like they just weren't it a, a a movable unit the way that they were in Goldfinger. You know what I mean? Where they had, they had your whole crew. They had Guy Hamilton coming who fucking rocked that shit. And then you have like, you know, the, the hit that it was like this movie just feels like nobody was happy. You know, it was filmed under a lot of stress. They were away largely in a, in a sense that they were all out of Pinewood and all like in Japan, which they hadn't been to before. You know, it's a, I don't know. It's a it's an interesting, um, you know, historical piece. Uh, I don't know what else can we talk about with this thing. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm sad that I didn't love it more. I'm excited to get into ratings. Yep. Let's just do it. I feel like it'll help us. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, focusing on the things that we can't remember. Um, so. Let's do it. All right. Um, I love when we're united on a couple of these yeah, thoughts, it's, so this is going to be fun. Yeah. So, um, You Only Live Twice. Diddy. So, the cool thing we were talking about before is, like, the name, it, it's because James Bond fakes his own death here. So, like, yeah. that, that's actually a really cool plot point that I totally forgot about, which happens in the opening sequence. So... The opening sequence here, to me, is one of the best that we've had. I mean, it just—it's awesome that they set up this this effect of seeing the uh, the spaceship, the Spectre ship, like eating <laughs> the American ship and close, which is obviously lampooned later with with Doctor Evil's uh, penis ship. Uh, but it's it's awesome, and they do it several times in this movie, and like. So the second time you see it, you're like, oh, that's what's going on? Like, that's awesome. And then, obviously, the, we, it, the sequence ends with uh, James Bond being shot and presumably killed. Obviously, we know that's not going to be the case. But I thought it's just – it's a really, really cool way to start off the movie. And it's it's with the plot. and But if you're paying attention, you, you can get what's going on. It's like you don't need to be like – totally focused in i gave it a 10 what about you i also gave it a 10 i think this is the first of a few times we'll see bond die on screen in the opening sequence uh actually technically he's already done it in from russia with love 
Um, but you know, this is, is this feels real. I love the funeral. I love the recovery sequence. Um, it, it overall like it just plays out really, really solid. Even if it's cross cutting between different uh, story points, like it does really feel action packed. It feels like a solid cold open. So yeah. I also gave it a ten. Great. Um, so plot. Uh, we're unified again. Um, I think the simplicity of the plot, like when we described it in the game earlier, is in its favor. Um, I just think that the whole Japanese sub subplot of like him going to the, is it an island or wherever, the village and like learning to learning how to do Kung Fu and everything is just a detriment to it. I gave this a nine, which is probably a little generous. Um, but I think in a in a rewrite they could have stripped that down or oh cut you it take out. this you take this plot out and you really hone in and you focus on it this is a great movie today yeah you know and it really does have uh, a simplicity to it that works in its favor in that you don't need to watch this movie with subtitles i did but you don't have to um really pay attention to what they're discussing in a talkie talkie scene to understand kind of the the whole entirety of the plot you'll miss some stuff but right there's no like like in dr no there's this weird laser situation going on or radio something like here it's just there's they're pitting the two superpowers against each other if they don't stop it everything's gonna go to shit boom it's so easy I, i love it um so you also gave it a nine um i did gadgets q and the car uh Okay, so there's so there is a car. It's not talked about or discussed. We just see it. We take it for granted. There is a gadget. It is, I would say, one of the more memorable gadgets. Definitely a highlight real gadget. Um, but this is the point where um, really the gadgets become the ex Deus Machina, like the ex the Deus Ex Machina. Excuse yeah, me. Yeah. Like. Literally, like, because he's got these two gadgets in this movie, like, he can accomplish things in the plot. And I think, you know, when you when I was watching the special features, uh, I believe it was Ken Adams saw the gyrocopter uh, in a, like, a National Geographic or, like, a documentary someplace. He said that was very cool. And then he goes on and builds it, and there you have it. That's yeah. it. And I think it's a very cool idea. I love all the weapons on it. I think it does look very great in the shots. Um, it's definitely not my favorite. Um, and it's not used um, for more than just the plot in of, in of itself. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like in the DB5 where he's driving it around. He goes here. He goes there. You know, it, it's damaged. It's the same car that we've seen before. You know, all that different shit. Like, this, we he's... He gets. He has it delivered. He uses it for the specific thing. He blows it up. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Um, and Q. I don't love Road Q. <laughs> I want I want a scene in Q Branch. I want some other extras. I, I think want... yeah, this movie needed Bond to start in the UK. I get rid yeah. of the the Japanese elements, and he doesn't have to fake his death. And then he can be in the UK. You get a cool scene with the car and Q Branch, and it's infinitely better. Um, I like that. I mean, I, I like his, um, his like suction cup thing. <laughs> yeah. The suction cups are funny. That's funny. Um, also er, when he first infiltrates, um, 
oh, what's the other guy? So, so there's when he meets and he's like undercover and he goes into that that office the first time and he like breaks into the safe. He's got a cool little gadget. Um, oh yes, that's that's actually a great scene. It's a great scene, and there's a, then a big fight sequence there. That's actually the best part of the movie. The fight sequence. We didn't even talk about that. Yeah. Fuck. I meant to talk about well, that. That was actually that's my favorite part. We'll get to that in physical antagonist, I guess. Um, oh. All right. Um, I'll give a point back. But yeah, the um, that's a whole cool, a very cool element. But it's like, where did he have that? Like, <laughs> I feel like he. That's the thing that's not very un- not very clear with James Bond sometimes. It's just like he has these gadgets on him and, you know, he could be in a scuba suit and all of a sudden he's got, like, a regular tuxedo on. <laughs> like, but doesn't that, like, d- decrease the richness of the character? Like, in – okay, in Goldfinger, like, that's very situational and it's a joke, right? Yeah. But, like, I, you know – I think you could spend a minute on the suction cups with Q. You know what I mean? And like, yeah. and I like, and I want Q. I want Q to be there more. Like, why and, did he need that like weird headpiece condom thing? <laughs> yeah, that was a weird. That was a weird point. Anyway, also the jumpsuit in this movie is very funny. Yeah, the jumpsuit's weird. <laughs> so okay. anyway, I gave it an eight. You gave it a seven. Moving yep. along to Bond girls. Ooh, they're they are pretty, and I think that they're, um. Forgettable. <laughs> there, yeah, I don't know. I I liked Aki. I liked her. I liked her arc. She was my favorite. Okay, so Aki is the first one who dies from the poison, right? And that's really sad and tragic. And then I like like his wife, her arc too, because she starts off as like like just being there circumstantially, and then it like actually helps him along the yeah. way. Um, but they're, they're not they're not used good. They're not used well at all. Um it's kind of to their detriment that they're not one character. Um Oh, good idea, Frank. You just make them one and it's kind of a little bit more streamlined. And then you've yep. got um number eleven, Spectre. Uh oh yeah, Helga. Helga. And she's kind of fun. Like of all of them, I, I like her probably the best because like mm. she doesn't really fall for Bond's shit, and like, <laughs> <laughs> and is like is a a villain, and like yeah, it's, they give her some good lines too. She, I, yeah, I I, I, li- I liked her too. And you doesn't know, she get eaten by piranhas? <laughs> surprisingly, you're not wrong. Um, <laughs> you know, you gotta have different people play to their strengths. I don't know. I don't know. I wish these girls were more memorable. They're not highlight reel, I don't think. Nope. Um, for, you wouldn't be you wouldn't be able to remember them or pick them out no. in a lineup. I mean, of famous Bond girls. I mean, I period. remember that there was a Japanese girl in this movie, but I didn't remember there were two, and I can't remember their names, and it's it's not fair to them. It's really not. So I I gave I'm it, a person who named my. Oh, I'm sorry to step on your thing. Go ahead. I was I was gonna say I gave it a four. You gave it a five, and then you said. I said, I named my robot vacuum cleaner Sucky. <laughs> so, like, I think if her name was Suki, I think it actually may have helped them if she could have, like, bought into it a little bit. I get not wanting to, especially that time, like, just beginning women's movement, 1967, don't really want to be called Sucky. Uh, but I also think that could have helped her memorability. I'm sorry, I'm a bad man. <laughs> um, okay, the villain. So, 
I gave this an eight. You gave this a nine. I think where we, I think the makeup is awesome. I think the look is super cool. Uh, I don't know. I don't know enough about him. Why did you give him such an, a good score? Or why, or why nine instead of an eight or less than that? Well, so I, I think I love the buildup, right? I like seeing him um, again, like behind the scenes, like ordering people around. Like, I mean, the, the because I like the plot so much is why I like him so much. Like, he's got a really good plan and it's it's going very well, but he's got kind of a blind spot and he doesn't realize it. And he should have just shot James Bond. <laughs> Like, obviously, um, I, I agree. I, the thing that I give him a little bit of uh, a pass on is that, like, he gets away. You know? Yeah. If, if he died here, his points go way down because then he's not fleshed out enough. Like, the fact that they're they're like, you know what? He's a big enough villain. We're going to have him in the next two films. Like, okay, I'm giving him a little bit more credit in that that will learn more about him. And like, ultimately we even, even though he's completely different in on her majesty's secret service, we do learn more about him. Um, but it just doesn't feel as connected. So that's why I gave him a nine. I mean, I think I like the idea of him maybe more than the execution. Ooh. Yeah. I'm going to use that same line. I like the idea of Blofeld more than the execution. I, I think he's a interesting character in and of himself. He's the origination for Claw and Dr. Evil and any bad guy you've known from any spy movie. And he's just like, you know, it's just not it's just not there. I, um, I'm, I'm sad about that. Yep. But there are physical antagonists in this movie. They bring that back. They do. Um, you got Hans. Hans. <laughs> I picked Hans things goes up down and put too them quick. down. <laughs> um, then you also have... Uh, uh, the earlier Japanese dude at, uh, the, is this Tanaka's or o Osato? Osato? Osato's, yeah. That's a great fight. That's, That's one of the best fight. choreographed fights of the whole series. He uses a couch to fight him. <laughs> like, it's yeah, so that's awesome. A, it's a great, it's a great sequence and it's filmed really well. Um, Ken Adams says that, like the people who really make James Bond believable are the stuntmen. They're the most professional guys on set. Yeah. They had a hundred guys for the volcano lair. It's um, nuts. And then you've got like the the ninjas groping down from the ceiling. Like yeah, yeah. They actually used instead of uh, rope because rope would burn your hands. They used this kind of like hose tubing. Huh. And if you watch the shot again, where the first ninjas land on the cement, one guy lands too fast and breaks both of his angles and falls oh. down. It's in the shot. God. <laughs> This poor uh, movie, man. It's Ugh. it's rough. I told you. It's cursed. Um, uh, yeah. So, so I, we're both at a six. We're at a six, and I think it's it's because there are are great physical antagonists in here, but they're not fleshed out. They're not. Nope. We don't know anything about them. Like Hans could have potentially been really good. Like if you had Hans show up earlier in the movie instead of just like being next to Blofeld the entire time as a a threat for Bond he gets infinite more points. Um, totally. So, all right. Bond performance. Go first. Uh, so, I mean, eight, which to me, like if I'm looking at the rest of my scores is like pretty much 
the lowest I've given Sean Connery. Um, that's not true. Wait, I can't read. <laughs> yeah, you gave him a seven in Thunderball. I gave him a seven in Thunderball, and I think because I like this movie a little bit better than Thunderball, uh, I can figure out it. But like, I don't know. Just like his performance as a Japanese man sucks. <laughs> yep. And yeah, but it's I don't necessarily know if it's his fault. Like I kind of feel like he's just like I don't know trying to hide himself, right? That I feel like he you could see it on his face there that he like clearly stands out and he could probably know it as an actor like I stand out like insanely. This is stupid. Um so I I don't know if that's his fault, but yeah, I just feel it's in the the, the plot of the movie where like things are are rocking and rolling and moving good, he's great, but it's some of these like more quiet moments that it's like, I, I don't believe that he's having a good time and I don't feel like, uh, yeah, I mean, it's probably because he's leaving. So I give him an eight and you give him a seven. So I went one score lower than you because if you've seen Con Air or you know what happens to Sean Connery later in his life, uh, my friend joins the bald brotherhood. Ah. And in this movie, this toupee is horrendous. <laughs> it's real bad. And it, he, I just feel for him. You know what I mean? I feel for the idea that he is an iconic film star. He's James motherfucking Bond. The, in, the guy who started it all that you would want to use these and use a piece and, and do this. But I also feel so conflicted because, you know, I don't know if he was balding this bad at the time or if he was totally bald to the point where he's using this to conceal more than he could have maybe gotten away with in the movie. And I know that sounds crazy, but I think maybe if you think about it as him maybe like showing a little bit more Widow's Peak, you know, showing a little bit more receding hairline, the character is growing, James Bond is getting older, we see why he wants to retire. You see that it's taking a toll on him. You see that he's been, you know, fucking battle-hardened. And I think, to me, uh, you know, in, in this movie and in really um, a couple of films after this, you know, you're really depending on the the uh, the gadgets. You're really depending on other forces other than James Bond's wits to overcome the predicaments that he's in. And... It, you know, he's doing less physical work. He's not, you know, doing as much. And I just miss that Connery. Yeah. I miss that edge. I miss the sparkle. I miss the twinkle. And to me, this is like, you know, it is the, it is the quote unquote end, but because I haven't seen, we haven't seen diamonds are forever. Like I want to see what that looks like. I want to see, I want to know, first of all, I would, I'm definitely going to do research on what he looked like in public at that time. Yeah, um, I mean it's it's crazy because like, I, it's uh, his hair. Right, looks you can't talk about this because you're not bald, so it's okay. Uh, <laughs> his hair I'm, is. I'm like, giving you bald immunity. Go for it. <laughs> his hair uh, does look different in every movie. Yeah. If I didn't know that he was bald now, I you know maybe wouldn't have really known that it was a a, a hair piece. But like, yeah, it, it just kind of like. It's unfortunate. It's another actor on screen working yeah. against him. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> he gets some great he gets some great lines in this movie. You know, I like Saki. That's a great line. I'd have that as a gif. Like yeah. 
and any time I'm going out to sushi, that'd be my fucking shit. Um, but yeah, uh, he's he's chilling out in this movie. He's not working as hard. You can see he's done with the fame. He's done with the bullshit. He doesn't love this, and and that shows. Yeah, obvious. I mean, it seems like maybe he misses it, and that's why he comes back, and then that's why he comes back again. Oh, they paid him the money. That's why he came back. Because he, they also knew, and I think smartly, that they had to course correct after Lazenby. Yeah. And you also have to, sh- uh, again, Cubby Broccoli, the real hero of this podcast, uh, like to have the fucking cojones to tell this fucking piece of shit Lazenby, you will never be anything. You suck. Fuck you if you think you're going to do this again. I'll go back to my OG actor. The world will love it. It'll do more money. And it did. And, and like, that's... I love that. So, yeah, you got the balls. <laughs> I love that shit. Yeah. Um, all right, so Legacy. Ooh, yeah, this movie has a good legacy, but I, I think it's also deducted points for the racism, right? That's, that's exactly that... it. It It's like it could, it could have been great. Uh, mm. It could have been memorable. It's not that memorable. It's like you've got... You've got Blofeld. Everyone recognizes him, uh, and uh, you know, seeing him with the cat and everything. But it, it I don't know. I, it just it does, and it, it feels like the late sixties because of the, the space program. But it doesn't feel like the late sixties in terms of like, like you were saying, Summer of Love. That that doesn't work. So we both agree it's a five. Um, it could have been oh, yeah. so much better. Special effects. Um, are pretty top notch here. Like, it, yeah, they're it, great. Uh, with the exception of two rear projection shots when they're on the water, it's really flawless. And uh, I, I think the, the the way that the miniatures are included, the the space sequences, the star fields, it all looks fine. It all still holds up. It holds up great. The space stuff looks awesome. And like you've got people floating around in space too, and it looks great. Um, I, I'm all for it. So we both gave it a nine. Um, mm-hmm. And last category, the score and the song. The way you've been talking about it, I'm shocked at your score. <laughs> oh, that's kind of weird, isn't it? Um, yeah, let's drop it down a few pegs over here. Yeah, that makes more sense. Um, so it's not that I hate um, the score, I think the score is actually quite beautiful. Yep. It's a little bit different. It's building. There's new themes that they that they use, um, and I think that they're uh, reflective of both Japan but also the changing times. Um, I don't love the song. Yeah, I didn't hate the song. Um, I like I like the score a lot. I think they did a good job of integrating the James Bond theme in. Um, I remember there was one point I was like, ah, they're going to do it right now. Yeah. Like the whole uh, helicopter sequence, like it's used so fantastically and you think it's going to end and it's like, nope, we're keep going. And then we go for another, another verse and then it's going to end. Um, and then they also brought back the, uh, the Thunderball music as well, which is kind of interesting. Um, What's but, the Thunderball theme? Well, like the, 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 that stuff oh yeah well that's a that becomes part of the canon but right which is interesting and i i appreciate it that it's there uh i don't love it but i think having the diversity of of the the score is good um 
So I mean, get a load of this. So uh, this is sung by Nancy Sinatra. Do you know why it's sung by her? Why? Because Frank passed. Frank said no. Oh. Imagine we had a fucking Frank James Bond theme. What the fuck, man? <laughs> How OG would that have been? That That's been like some next level shit. <sighs> yeah. So no, um, I don't know. Uh <sighs> I think Barry does some really great work in that it does sound original. It sounds new. It sounds flourishing and it sounds rich. Um, the bond theme isn't used enough. I don't think. Yeah. Uh, and you know, it, it's a great, it, it, it ties the room together, but it's also, um, you know, I think the, the way that the lyrics are sung are, are not so good. I kind of like when they don't have the title be the first line of the song. I would prefer if they used it in different spots at different times. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> old finger, you only live twice. Yeah, it's you know, like. Then it, they really moved away from it. It's like, okay, here's the name of the thing you have to improv sing about. <laughs> That's kind of what it feels like, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's wackadoodles, man. <laughs> Uh, you know what I've actually got a lot more respect for because I've been like really deep diving on Jack White is the Jack White Alicia Keys song. Ooh, it's not so. If you listen to it alone, it actually sounds pretty cool. Okay, I'll check um, it out. Check it, check it out again. Um, but yeah, holy shit, dude! Holy shit! This is, I mean, twenty three Bond podcasts. Woof. Plus, plus <laughs> with spinoffs, we've got a whole spinoff series. Um, so you only live twice. Uh, the score song I gave eight, AJ gave seven. Total, you're at a 73, I'm at a 76. I feel that's a, about right on the way we've been feeling about this movie. Um, I, I liked it, but I didn't love it. I think you probably would agree. Yeah, I do. I, you know, I, I think I had, again, a lot higher expectations. I think this movie under delivers. Um, I'm excited to see this last one, which we haven't seen. Maybe it'll be better. Who knows? Um, but yeah, this if this was Sean Connery's very last Bond film, I think we would look at back at him maybe differently. So I'm hoping that these other ones um, redeem it a little bit. Yeah. Or if we're all just remembering Goldfinger all the time forever. Maybe and maybe that's it. <laughs> you know, the, you know? You've, you've hit gold. <laughs> that's and, it. And uh, you know the, that's the standard, right? So, um, which really, in a lot of ways, I feel like every single episode that we have done, like even the fact that we we did Goldfinger so late in the game, it was our standard, and it wasn't even yeah. necessarily something that we were thinking about. But the things that we expect of from a Bond movie come out of that one, and. When it's, oh, 100%. And when it strays too far, that's that's when you've got some problems. Um, but unfortunately, and I mean, the thing is, like, obviously, we don't want them all to be super repetitive either. We want them to be That's unique. true. But there's got to be some. I need chocolate chips in my chocolate chip cookies. That's all I'm going to say. All oh, right, that's perfect. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm not like if, if I see these and they're oatmeal raisin, I am. I'm a smack a bitch. <laughs> like, <laughs> You know what I mean? And that's what these feel like, you know, like you want you want the cookies. Sometimes you want an Oreo, but sometimes you want a chocolate chip cookie and you want to know that the chocolate chips are in there. You'll and, ask somebody, are these oatmeal raisins? And you could have a lot of different kind of chocolate chip cookies and them all be really good. But you're exactly. never going to be like, oh, they're they're all the same. So I'm not going to like it. 
you're you're totally right. Like the nuance of the cookie is in and of itself very cool because there's different textures: chewy, crispy, you know, uh, you know, cakey, yeah. um, you know, really loose, chocolatey, warm cookies, cold cookies, cookies with ice cream. Um, the only thing we didn't talk about, which I'm just gonna mention briefly here, I'm I promise I'm gonna time myself that I won't go over a minute. One of the big bummers of this movie is that it's written by Roald Dahl. And I know that we're supposed to really love Roald Dahl because he brings us Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, um, among uh, James and the, the Giant, Giant Peach. Peach yeah. There's a whole bunch of other books that he writes that are that are very great for children. But unfortunately, this guy is a major anti-Semite. And Ugh. like not just like a minor anti-Semite, like a major anti-Semite. And like he goes on to say in the British press after the 67 war that the Jews deserved the Holocaust and he wishes that the people of forces who tried to kill them did again. And then he writes this book in the 1980s, which they're about to make a fucking movie of with Anne Hathaway that uses these, that witches that have hooked noses and wigs, Orthodox women wear wigs and that they run a secret society. They're going to take over the world and kill children, which is blood libel. The ancient anti-Semitic conspiracy theory Roald Dahl's a dick. I'm sorry. What? Back to the podcast. I can't believe that they're making that movie. That's insane. It's in. It's insane. It's insane. Like the idea that they think that that's cool is like, I, I, uh, oh, sh- fuck, man. Uh, fucking. I can't. You know what? And there's like this been this article circulating recently that like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the original main character, was supposed to be black. Charlie was supposed to be black. And it was this like whole redemption arc for Roald Dahl. And like what sucks is like you can't like really rebut that and say like, well, he hated Jewish people without like angering way more people, you know, and like it that just it just fucking sucks. Like as soon as I learned that it really changed my whole view of like this man and his whole oeuvre of children's books like, you know, to be a fucking great children's writer and have like such hate in your heart. Like where does that all come from and what are you trying to actually do? Like that—that's where it, it breaks apart for me. Fuck him for writing this fucking movie. He wanted to do this. This—that's what they said in the in the thing that they were. Him and Fleming were acquaintances and friends. I don't know if they were close friends. They didn't really d- dive deep into that. But he was anxious to kind of do this, and that's why he ends up writing the book for this movie. But fuck him. Sorry, I'm I'm out. I'm not doing anymore. <laughs> so, but he, so he wrote the screenplay. Correct. But like, Correct. what? What like? Who, uh, yeah, man. You, it, you're, if you're an author, it doesn't mean that you can write a screenplay. Which, like, there's another person in our our press these days that's writing screenplays that is also uh, problematic. J.K. Rowling. Um, oh yeah, yeah. We don't she's have, uh, uh, yeah. She she really fucked it up, didn't she? She yeah. You know, I mean, I, I think. I don't know if her like sayings are inherently anything that like a regular woman or women amongst themselves wouldn't say, but I, I think the way that she used her platform and to say it in such a way and to write a whole letter about it, like it, it really diminishes, you know, her returns. Like, like, you know, it's not even really a good business decision, just like fundamentally, like she's a wealthy person. She owns this huge franchise that would have gone on forever and ever and ever foreseeably. And to just, like, step on it in this way to, like, pronounce your, like, transphobia to the world, like, it it just seems like such an odd step for somebody 
like her. And that's why, like, again, I equally loved what Pete Davidson said on SNL the, last week where yeah. she's like, he's like, you know, I was like, maybe I should relook at these books and who fucking runs the Gringotts bank fucking Jewy looking goblins. Yeah. I mean, that, so, that's, that's, you, yeah, you hit everybody, the nail on the head. I mean, it's just, it's sad because, uh, you know, the, we the, don't not love her, right? Like she wrote the books, like she originated she, the idea. Right. But then again, it's like if, if George Lucas all of a sudden was, was like, <laughs> came out as a major homophobe or yeah you, like you can't be a jedi if you're gay like, yeah that would be pretty fucked up so that's it? what i'm saying and like the the people that love harry potter and that, that that's their number one like you know and if you're a member of the lgbtq community like you're like fuck what i've what have i been supporting this entire time and it, it really i think can mess with a lot of people and it's really unfortunate i i hope that you know warner brothers slash whomever actually owns the the rights like at some point i don't know maybe, maybe. i think she owns the rights to this fantastic beast shit yeah. i think she had to sell the rights to harry potter to wb in order to do it yeah um but you know we'll we'll see what they do next i don't think it will happen <laughs> i don't think there'll be a fantastic beast three because of this if she's the screenwriter and she's doing it they will not make this movie. It doesn't. It's not advantageous for them. There'll be more backlash and t- mean tweeting about it than there will be a good movie. Yeah, so, true. All right. Yeah. So, diminishing returns. So anyway, back to this James Bond, Bond podcast. <laughs> We've had some tangents this this episode, but hope you all have enjoyed it. It's hard for us to only talk about James Bond all the time. There's so many other things that are happening. Which uh, today's October twenty first. Whenever this episode drops, you'll be listening. But. The Mandalorian comes out in nine days, and we are fucking excited about it. And so we're trying to wrap this this series up. <laughs> we're oh gonna wrap God. this series up. Get, dive into the Mandalorian. We'll be covering that as we did last year. Um, but you know, there's a lot going on in our lives, so please be patient. Um, this is uh, the second to last. We've got Diamonds Are Forever. We'll do a, a big wrap up episode uh, to cover. Sean Connery and just like the series in general, the whole thing. We've got you know lots of numbers and scores, and we want to give you all a definitive ranking on where the Long Lost Heroes podcast stands on the James Bond series up hey. until now. So, anything else for you tonight, Bud? I'm good. Uh, I'm good, man. Great episode. Thank you very much, Frank. Thank you too. Um, so, can you tell the people where to find us? Hell yeah, I can. Go check us out, our website, www.longlostheroes.net. You want to send us an email? You want to show us some pictures? Info at longlostheroes.net. You want to get to us faster? Social media is the way. Go for it. At LLH Podcast, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. That's where you can get at us, man. Friends, thank you so much. Uh, Have a good week. We'll see you next time. Thank you, everybody. Bye. Bye.